You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 86 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we talk about everything related to iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, and other industry news. With me is Editor-in-Chief, Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor. How's it going? It's brilliant. How are you? Uh, it's all right, I guess, yeah. Well, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very enthusiastic guy. Okay. So I have to ask you a question right away. All right. Have you ordered your iPhone? No. Wait, what? No. I uh, actually, with iOS 10's release, I switched back to my iPhone SE, and uh, I'm going to stick with that. So you are not ordering an iPhone 7 at this time? I am not ordering an iPhone 7 this year. Um, I think it's a nice phone, uh, and anybody that owns an iPhone 6 or earlier should probably upgrade. Uh, if you have a 6S uh, or even an SE, uh, you probably don't need it, just in terms of uh, processing power, photos, that sort of stuff. Uh, you're not going to see that big of a leap unless you get the 7 Plus, and I have no real interest in getting a phone that large. You know, I toyed with, uh, uh, and I kind of came to the conclusion, I talked to you a bit about this and, and Mikey as well, that if there was an easy way, like if the watch was more independent, because I wear my watch every day and I like it, if the watch could switch between phones, I might just like keep my SE and then get a 7 Plus and kind of, you know, choose between those and switch. But you can't really do that with the watch. It doesn't offer you the opportunity. So. Yeah, and, and I think that's just not a design requirement for them because – you you having multiple phones is the exception. Most people carry one phone. Yeah, exactly. Some people, you know, they have a work phone and they have a personal phone and that kind of stuff. I think it would make sense for Apple to do it just because, you know, they they want to sell more phones, obviously. And as the watch becomes more independent and gets its own cellular radio, I think this is kind of an inevitability, but we're not there right now. But I could definitely see a situation like I'll stream sports games while I'm out and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and I could see a situation where maybe a bigger screen would be good for that. Or uh, using the dual camera, like if I know I'm going somewhere where I'm going to take a bunch of photos, it would be nice to have. But in 90% of my daily phone use situations, having a smaller phone is just better for me in terms of having it in my pocket and all that. And let's be real, uh, Apple did a great job with the iPhone SE cramming in the same camera and the same processor as the iPhone 6S. So the iPhone SE is actually faster than the iPhone 6S because it doesn't have to push as many pixels on the smaller screen. And it gets better battery life. So I'm still very, very happy with my iPhone SE. There are certain concessions you have to make with the smaller phone. Like it doesn't have 128 gig uh, capacity or now 256 like the iPhone 7. Uh, It doesn't have the um, faster touch ID and all that. But yeah, so I'm not getting the 7 this year. Uh, I think it's a great phone. um, But I'm more interested in the dual camera on the 7 Plus and I just can't justify making that jump. I I, th- I think you're right. I think your reasons are sound. I was thinking about all of the different things that have gone on at this launch so far that we know of. You know, the, the first thing was that as soon as pre-orders opened on the 13th, at what was essentially three and four in the morning on the East Coast, the phones were already becoming rapidly unavailable for launch. They were pushed out to the end of September, and then two to three weeks, and then into November even for some of them. And uh, there were complaints about, and I think there's even a class action lawsuit about the the Apple Upgrade program, where the idea was you'd sign up for this Apple Upgrade program, and in a year's time, there would be an upgraded phone available to you. And uh, initially, people were told that no, a stock was not available for the upgrade plan. 
And so there's a class action lawsuit filed over this. And the, oh, it's a frivolous nonsense lawsuit. It it's complete is, BS. They haven't but, even but launched wait, yet. Wait, the idea is this, right? If, if you signed up for this plan and the plan says that you will be able to upgrade in a year's time and the upgrade's there and it's not available to you, isn't that kind of a raw deal? Well, let's see what happens tomorrow. But mostly they've resolved the issue for a lot of people. They have a special waiting list that you can get. And, I mean, let's be real. Inventory is only available as fast as they can manufacture it. They can't just make phones out of thin air. What are they going to do? Just prioritize everybody who has an upgrade program to get phones? you got to be able to sell them to people. It's first come, first serve. Yeah, I, I well, there you know, ought to be some like, prioritization, and clearly there was some stock set aside for them. And what's happened is that because of this complaint, they've gone ahead and shifted supply around so that people who are going to go to the stores are not going to be able to get some models because that stock's been shifted to the upgrade program. Here's what I do if I'm Apple: I say, you know what, in a year or in you know uh, eleven months and fifteen days or whatever, the iPhone eight or whatever, whatever comes the out next is. year. Yeah, you can upgrade as soon as it comes out. As soon as we get it in stock, it doesn't matter when you got the last phone. It doesn't matter if you got it six months ago. As long as you re-up and are in a two-year payment plan with us uh, and continue to pay you know, that monthly of what the phone costs, we don't care. Trade in your phone and get it now and upgrade. Why, why, why would they care? They're going to get your phone. They're gonna, you're going to pay it off. You're going to get it over the two years anyhow. That's basically what Sprint does with their upgrade, any upgrade unlimited iPhone or whatever they call it plan. Yeah, if, if I'm Apple, that's what I do. You know, just make it so that you can upgrade basically whenever you want. Get the new phone. Doesn't necessarily have to be the full year. It can be eleven or ten months or something. And then that way, if people got to wait a month to get their phone, so what? Get it doesn't over. affect your your twelve month rolling timeline and none of that sense. Okay. That's the only reason. That's the only reason people are ticked off. If, well, yeah, if you wait for the phone. I mean, you can't. You can only physically manufacture so many phones. It's not like they can make them out of thin air. I, I like your idea of, of eliminating that specific requirement. That's, that's a good idea. So what's happened here is that so there's the launch day iPhone 7 Plus and the iPhone 7, and then Jet Black is sold out of both. So anyone who goes to a retail store looking to get Jet Black tomorrow is going to be out of luck. And Apple's actually issued a statement on this. We sincerely appreciate our customers' patience as we work hard to get the new iPhone into the hands of everyone who wants one as quickly as possible. Um, but you're just not going to be able to get it. The the interesting the most interesting thing to me about Jet Black is uh, this is the first time ever that Apple has uh, segregated the lineup in such a way that the the Jet Black aluminum polished glossy finish is only available if you get the 128 or 256 gigabyte capacities. So this was something that was rumored a couple years ago, and I thought it was complete BS. Uh, not specifically that, but that. Apple was going to only put sapphire glass on the high-end, uh, you know, 128 gig capacity models and differentiate yeah. those. And, and wait, when wait, that rubric, wait, because we've seen this a little bit with the Apple Watch, right? Where there's the sport version that's aluminum, and then there's the stainless steel version that gets the sapphire glass. So there is a segregation at price points. There is, but those are different models. With the iPhone, it's always been whether you bought the 16 gig model or even going back to the eight or four gig models, they were always the same internally. Now it changed a little bit with the iPhone Plus model, six plus, and then the Success Plus. Uh, because they had the optical image stabilization in the, in the larger camera, but other than that, they were the same camera, took the same quality photos, etc. Now well, this the larger, year, the larger Plus phone also got a different amount of RAM assigned to it. No, only the first time this year. So this is the first time that the Plus 
is really a standout phone, and it's the first time that the higher capacities are the only one that you can get a certain color with. So they're really kind of complicating the lineup in some ways and making some new changes. But with the watch, it was different. The same internal capacity, whether you got the $350 model or the $15,000 model. You could still only hold two gigs of music on it, and it only had like eight gigs total memory in it. Now it's a little different. Um, the You have to get the higher capacity models if you want to get the jet black finish. You cannot get a... 32 gigabyte jet black finish. It does not exist. And so that was something a couple years ago that I said Apple wouldn't do because they hadn't done it and it didn't make any sense. Why would you only put sapphire glass on the higher end model? I still don't think they would do that because side by side you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. The sapphire glass would look the same as the gorilla glass and it would be like the only way you could prove that you had the sapphire glass would be to take a set of keys to it or something like that, you know? But I could see them doing a combination of sapphire glass with you know, a jet black or something and saying that that's the only way you can get it. And then people, that would be a way of so, differentiating letting people know. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you've said, and, and you, you said here that, that in the past you said this was a nonsense idea that they wouldn't do that. Why have they done it then? What, what do you speculate their thinking is? I think the thinking is it's harder to manufacture. It costs more money. So that way they need to get the margins up. So if you're going to uh, get the jet black model, they need you to buy the larger capacity to justify the cost. Um, it's harder from the manufacturer. They can't put, they can't get them out as much. It's this whole process to get the uh, polished aluminum in a certain way to give it this uh, jet black glossy finish. So their justification is if you're only willing to spend seven hundred fifty dollars or six hundred fifty dollars on a phone, then you then you don't deserve to get this finish. Fair enough. Well, I wasn't going to get that finish anyway. So there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not really that big of a deal, I don't think. But this is this is one of those things that Apple does every year because. Whether you like it or not, uh, just because of our ridiculous uh, need for something new and pretty and shiny every year, Apple has to introduce new colors every year and change the colors every year. They, they've been doing this even with the Apple Watch bands and stuff. Um, and the reason for this is because it's a status symbol. If you buy the new phone uh, and it is the only model that's available in rose gold as of last year or black or jet black as of this year – The phone looks the same as last year's model, right? But somebody walking down the street or your friends or whatever can see your jet black phone and go, oh, you have the new iPhone. It allows you to be – to have that Right. And so that's the reason that the colors change every year is because that's a a huge selling point for a lot of people and Apple taps into it. And so this is an example of where not only do they have the matte black – but now you can get the glossy black, but you got to pay a little bit more for it. And this isn't entirely unprecedented. I mean, they used to charge you $100 to get the uh, the black uh, anodized aluminum MacBook Pro. Um, that was a markup on that. Wait, and there wait, was wait, nothing. Slow down. The black anodized MacBook Pro? Yeah. You used to be able to pay $100 extra, and it would be a darker shade of aluminum. For the MacBook Pro? Yeah. Huh. That was like 10 years ago? See, there was a black MacBook that was a plastic MacBook, but instead of the white one, it was black, and you paid extra to get that one. Oh, maybe that – so it wasn't a metal one? Am I, did I mix them You're, up? Yeah, you, yeah. So you, the, the original MacBook was white plastic, and then there was a black version of that that was sometimes called the black book, and you paid extra for that one, but it was still plastic. Right. Got it. All right. So now – but now you can get a uh, – uh, 12-inch MacBook in a variety of shades, but they don't charge any extra for those colors. So that those days are gone. What is your favorite feature of iOS 10? Um, I would say I am using the new control center the most. 
um, I like it quite a bit. Really? So you switch between the different panels in Control Center now? Yeah, I use it a lot for um, lights with um, uh, HomeKit. Uh, I have the Hue lights. I also um, am using the, the, the larger music controls are very nice. Uh, one cool thing that I'll note uh, and that I noticed switching back from the iPhone 6S to the uh, iPhone SE is although Apple has not uh, caved in on force touch or 3D touch uh, input on, on older devices like emulating it or doing it, they did cave on HomeKit accessories. So if you have a non-3D touch phone like the iPhone SE and you long press on a light bulb, it will emulate the 3D touch uh, force sensing capabilities and give you the pop-up option to uh, change brightness of a bulb and to change Wait, the color. Where, where do you do that? So if you have an iPhone 6S, uh, open up uh, Control Center, swipe over a couple times to get to your bulbs on home, the HomeKit swipe up. And then if you're on the 6S, you can press on the bulb more firmly, and then that will pop up a uh, brightness control. If you have an iPhone SE or an iPhone 6 or what have you, uh, there was no real way for them to get around this, so it's just a long press on it, and then it emulates the 3D touch. And that is the only example of Apple emulating 3D touch on a non-3D touch device. In all other cases, like the uh, actionable notifications and stuff, uh, you just swipe to the left on the home screen for those, and you cannot get the... Uh, 3D touch icons or any of that stuff. You just can't get it on the older phones. But that's one where, you know, having the HomeKit controls to quickly adjust the brightness of the bulbs or change the color or whatever uh, was kind of essential to the capabilities of it. So Apple just went ahead and included that. They did not, however, include the 3D touch capabilities on the other items within Control Center. So if you have an iPhone 6S and you pull up Control Center and you press more firmly on the flashlight, uh, it will give you three options for brightness on the flashlight. Uh, if you press it on the camera, quick uh, access there, it'll give you options for selfie, record video, etc. Um, they also have it for the timer, and they have it for the calculator. Uh, different 3D touch actions in there. Wild. I so, yeah, did not know that. I'm still on that 6, so I don't have 3D One touch. of the nice features of uh, iOS 10 is they really made 3D touch, gave it a bit more purpose. Um, previously, it was kind of one of those things that I never really used. Um, with iOS 10, 3D Touch has a lot more system-wide uses, and they're, and they're nice. Totally. Another um, one that I miss, uh, having switched back from the 6S to the SE, is, and I don't know why they don't just add this as a long press, but um, the notification center, if you 3D Touch on the X uh, above your notifications, uh, you get a clear all notifications option. Okay, but do you get the, the clear all, you know, other ways, right? You can still clear all in, in Notification Center. No, Just not with, not with an iPhone SE. Okay. So with an iPhone SE, it's like it worked before. You can press once and then press again to clear, but it will only clear for that day. So if you have your notifications sorted by day, um, you know, you'll have to clear two or three times to clear the last two, three days of notifications. But if you have an iPhone 6S or an iPhone 7 for that matter, and you firmly press on that X, then you get a clear all notifications option and it will clear all days. Just like with the watch where you long pro, you, you, you 3D touch and get the uh, dismiss all. Correct. How about well, you? Yeah, what I are see your what you mean. You can, you can clear by day, but you have to scroll through all of your days that you haven't cleared. So Exactly, exactly. So what are your favorite uh, iOS 10 features, Victor? I like the lock screen. 
What's that? I like the the lock screen. So before, you may remember that everything was very much dark, right? There was no great delineation between different items on there, and there was no great indication that you could slide or swipe on just a singular item. We, we all sort of knew that you could because you and I watched the videos and the introductions and things like that as part of the events. But for you know, Mike, Mikey's observation a while ago was that he didn't use all of the features in iOS because having used the phone for as long as he had, he just used the phone the same way he always had and never took advantage of the new features. Right. Well, when they introduced that, they didn't make it blatantly obvious that you could slide or swipe on them to act on them. And in the new lock screen, when you do, you can slide over and you get a view or a close dialogue to it. Or if you just swipe through that, it opens it. And um, this is something where people who haven't seen that before are now going to actually know to do this. Um, and because they're separated with these sort of white, rounded, rectangle backgrounds as opposed to being all black, they no longer blend in. It's just, I like it a lot. And that's another example of where 3D Touch is a huge improvement. So I found myself, as I was using the beta on my success, firmly touching on the uh, notifications there to, for example, reply to text messages without having to up- unlock my phone. Um, I cannot do that on my SE. So the way it works on the SE is you just swipe toward the left, and then you'll get a reply option, and then it pops up the bubble. Yeah. I, uh, I also like the, uh, the widgets mm-hmm. a lot better. Do you access them a lot from the lock screen or no? Um, I do now. I have not before. I never used them before. I, I really didn't. But now I'm using them a lot more. I kind of wish there was a way to put them on the primary lock screen without having to swipe. Yeah, that would be cool. But you know, the, the question would be, what would they be and which one? You'd have to be selective about it, right? You'd have to pick one. Yeah, I would only want to put a handful of them on there. Um, because your your home screen would get very cluttered very quickly. It'd be nice to be able to swipe left to see more, you know, if you wanted. But, like, for example, I could see myself putting the weather one on there. Yeah. I uh, I like tracking packages. You know, we get reviews sent to us, and I like to re- see when the review samples are going to arrive. Mm-hmm. And, and so I track the packages, and I would like to put that widget there. Do you like the raise to wake feature? I haven't experienced that. Do you have I haven't gotten that one working. No, I don't. I have a 6. Oh, well, that's why you don't have it then. It requires the A9 chip. So it works with the iPhone SE, iPhone 6S, and iPhone 7. But if you have an iPhone 6 or earlier, you don't get the raise to wake feature. So it works just like it does on the Apple Watch. So the device is laying flat on the table or it's in your pocket or whatever. What you do is you raise the phone to your face, and then the screen automatically turns on without you having to interact with it. And this is why there's a fundamental change in how the lock screen works. So you no longer slide to unlock. You can press your thumb on the home screen without pressing the button, just rest it on there, and it will scan your fingerprint automatically and then allow you to interact with the home screen, or I'm sorry, with the lock screen uh, because it's verified your identity. And then if you want to go further and then go home, you have to actually press the home button. Yes, and this is terrible. I love it. This this is obnoxious. No, it's great. No, it's obnoxious. No, it's, it's... it's, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. You've been using your phone a certain way for a while, and you're used to it. And uh, I was actually uh, talking with this, uh, about this with someone the other day. You, you know what this reminds me of? Hmm. Uh, remember when Apple decided probably four or five years ago to change the default scrolling on the trackpad? So oh, it, from, be- uh, it, was, it was 
n- logical scrolling to natural scrolling or whatever the terms were. But yes, they changed the reverse the direction and it they threw everyone off. They inverted it. And the yeah. reason that they inverted it is because if you're on your iPhone or your iPad and you want to scroll down on the page, you're physically interacting with the page. So it makes sense to move your finger up to scroll down even though it's backwards because it's like you're taking the page and just sliding it with your fingertips, right? And Apple wanted to – they had the foresight to realize that they wanted to have some form of continuity between their platforms. No no pun intended there. Um, They wanted to have some consistency. Consistency. And so you take now – the way it is by default is you take your two fingers and you scroll up to make a page go down, whether you're in Safari or in an app or whatever. Now, when this switch happened, I had been scrolling for many years with my fingers going in the other direction. Um, it, like, made my brain hurt. It, it took me a, a, a good couple weeks to get used to the way that it changed and why it had changed and all that. And it was just like your, your instinctive – it's like if you play a first-person shooter with a controller. Either you play inverted or you play normal. And if you try to play the other way, it gives, you give it a couple weeks and you'll get used to it. But it's difficult, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it took me about a week to get it right. Now, it's the same thing with this raise to wake and press the home button to unlock. Especially it works very well if you have an SE or a 6S or a 7. Because the way it works is you just simply raise the phone and then rest your finger on the home button without pressing it. And now your phone is already unlocked. And you can do anything you want on the lock screen and interact with things and open apps and it will just do it. Or you can press the home button to go to the home screen, which is no different. So now you have to think of the lock screen essentially as an app, right? So if you're in any app anywhere on the phone, you press the home screen to return to the home screen. Well, if you're on the lock screen, you press the home button to return to the home screen. Um, that's just the way that it works now. It's just a different – they got rid of slide to unlock and it's different. Now, if you hate it, just like when uh, uh, natural scrolling was introduced on the Mac – I was getting you, to this. If you hate it, you can go into the settings and change it. General accessibility. Yeah, it's, it's uh, settings, general accessibility. Home button. Home button. Rest finger to open. Absolutely. And I have done that and I'm much happier. But the problem is if you turn that on, then you cannot interact with what is on your lock screen because by default, you just put your thumb down there. Well, if I – no, it's it's not so because if I want to interact with my lock screen, I press it once and and I can interact right, with my lock screen this, a little but bit. But this is why I'm saying it works better with a 6S and an SE because you don't have raised to wake on. Right. Now, if you once you get a newer phone – so are you getting an iPhone 7? That remains to be seen. I was I was going to pre-order one on the thirteenth, and uh, I was going to go wait in line tomorrow at the store. And at this point, I'm 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 just going to set the world world on fire. I'm going to burn everything. I'm, I'm not getting an iPhone right now. Okay. Well, when you do get a phone that has raised to wake, then the uh, ability to uh, unlock the phone or to return to the home screen by pressing the home button will make more sense because you have to think about. For lack of a better explanation, you have to think about the lock screen as an app, and you're quitting that app, essentially. Well, that's, that's one way of putting a mental model around it. What I'm thinking of is, is that this is a transition point. This is a moment of transition, and, and the reason for this transition is it's, it's not essential for this year. It's not essential for iPhone 5 or iPhone SE or iPhone 6, users of which there are many. It's essential for this future coming next year and the year after if the rumors have any sense to them. 
right? We talk about this 2017 phone and the possibility that it has no home button at all. Right, and they've they've set the stage for that with the iPhone 7. That's what I'm saying, is that the iPhone 7 has a, a home button that's not a physical home button. It's powered by the Taptic engine. And so the extension of that is is getting rid of the home button entirely, and this this change in interface enables that. And I haven't been able to test out the iPhone 7 yet, but from the reviews that have been published this week, which were generally pretty positive, uh, what people said was the home button feels very different, which is to be expected when it doesn't click. It's not quite as good as the Force Touch trackpad on the MacBook, which emulates clicking and really feels like it's clicking. Uh, but what it does feel like is you're... The way it's described is it feels like you're clicking the bottom half of the phone. Now, when there's a button there, that seems a little weird. But if you think about getting rid of the button, it starts to make a little bit of sense, doesn't it? So now imagine an edge-to-edge screen and you basically click the bottom half of the phone to return to whatever you wanted to do. Uh, It is a new uh, force touch, 3D touch gesture essentially gets rid of the home button. You get rid of the chin, you get rid of the uh, the forehead on the phone, and all of this becomes better. Right, and it feels like you're clicking it. Like, like think about like the old, uh, what was that uh, BlackBerry Storm phone that physically clicked? Well, yes. this is like an emulation of that. And oh, that's God. where, that's, <laughs> well, hopefully it works better too. But uh, I remember where, that phone. That was that's 2008. Where, that's where it feels like this is heading. Um, that... The, the, the button is going to be gone, whether it's next year or the year after, whenever they can get it done in terms of the manufacturing and all that. And they've set the stage for that. Uh, this year's phone, ditching the headphone jack, making the button not clickable, get, putting the Taptic engine there to emulate the feeling of a click and all that. Um, they're, they're, they're kind of laying their cards out in a way and, and laying, setting, setting, the, setting the path for what it's going to become. You said some magic words there. We've avoided saying them so far. We got, gosh, we got uh, well over 26 minutes into this podcast without saying them, but now you've said it, so we have to address it. Okay. The words that you said were, getting rid of the headphone jack. <laughs> we made it 26 minutes without griping about that. And, and this is one of the things where, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show, but, but the, uh, th- this is something that people who are in tech make a huge noise about. Right, and and there are some regular folks that I've talked to that have made a, a similar, a small amount of noise about, but they're not making noise about the headphone jack being gone as much to me as they are about what is the deal with the AirPods. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's funny when you get out of our world that we're in, right? So anybody listening to this podcast, anybody who reads Apple Insider, you knew what to expect. Um, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, when I was talking with the guy from the New York times and all that, um, you know, there's an Apple kind of the, the leaks are out there. People know, but then there's the, the casual user, the not as enthusiastic Apple fan, you know, whether it's your mom or, or your boss or somebody who maybe is not a tech head, but they find out about the iPhone seven because the commercial airs on TV. They don't read Apple insider. Right. And so, uh, you can see, uh, two different crowds about this. There's the, oh my gosh, the headphone jack is gone crowd, which is, you know, your mom or somebody that didn't really know anything about the iPhone and didn't really know what to expect. Uh, and you see those people out there, you know, uh, you talk to them, whatever. And I knew that that was going to be an issue. We, we've talked about this for months, right? That, that Apple was going to have a PR problem and, and they do, but the, well, the more, the more, 
Right. I, I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but still, people are talking about it. I mean, it's it's indisputable. People are talking about it. The 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 weird one is with the more tech savvy folks, uh, where we kind of knew that these AirPods were coming, but nobody knew what they were going to look like and all that stuff. And so they've announced them, and it's really weird. And it's a bunch of people complaining that they're going to lose their headphones. And this is an optional one hundred and sixty dollar accessory that nobody is making you buy or use. Well, so I, I just want to point out, right? I don't understand. Right, first of all, Beats, also an Apple company, makes a Power Beats 3, which has an ear hoop over it. Right. So, you know, if you were concerned, then that's certainly an option for you. Uh, Tim Cook says that they don't fall out when you're exercising. I imagine he's had the opportunity to go to the gym with a pair and probably knows that's true for him. But my, uh, my FedEx deliveryman pointed out to me that, you know, he uses an LG tone, which is one of these sort of uh, hoops that goes around your neck, and then the little earbuds come out of that on a oh, those are wire. The, those are some of the ugliest headphones. I see those all the time. Why would anybody wear those? I, You know, I, I did not question <laughs> his fashion choices, but but he likes them, and they're Harman Kardon sound. Well, well, say what? Are you good buddies with your FedEx delivery guy? You aren't. <laughs> no, I'm not. My, my FedEx delivery guy brings me all kinds of cool packages, and and so yeah, he's yeah we're good. We talk. I live in an apartment complex, and my FedEx guy just throws the package at the building and runs away. So see, I don't have to worry about a package getting thrown at my building. <laughs> I know that that he's going to make sure it's not it's not dropped, it's not drop kicked, it's not thrown over a fence. It's cool. I see a lot of those headphones around people wearing them. I don't know why anybody would wear them. I find them to be unsightly. Well, he he. He asked me, he said, what's, what's the point of the AirPods and how are they going to be any better than these? These have Harman Kardon sound. They're, they're great. They pair. Why, what's the point? And, and I said, well, you know, they do a few other things. They, first of all, they go longer distance. They've got just as good or better sound quality. And, and they're going to do cool things where it, it's going to understand all the other things that you pair with. So you won't have to repair it with something else. He's like, yeah, for, for the money, it just doesn't make sense to me. He's going to continue wearing his LG tone headband or neckband thing. I'm glad you brought up the Power Beats 3. They're not out yet, but I'm probably going to buy them, and here's why. I really like this W1 chip that Apple has created. It's kind of a special sauce proprietary mix of Bluetooth and some it's, iOS. It's a stack energy. on top of Bluetooth is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it can it, it has securely ties into your iCloud account, so you sync it with one device. Very simple, and then all of a sudden all your devices connect, and it knows smartly which device you're using at that moment, so you don't have to resync or repair all that. Now, Yeah, they fixed the broken pairing model of Bluetooth. That is amazing, and I have zero interest in the AirPods for a variety of reasons. Number one, they'll fall out of my ears. Uh, I, I am actually worried about losing them, but that's the nice thing about them being an optional $160 accessory. I don't have to buy them. Uh, but I do wait, like – I, I have a question. You ever see grandmothers wearing glasses, right? And they have the glasses hanging around their necks with a little string? Yeah. There is no reason that you couldn't just buy that little string that grandmothers used to put on their reading glasses and connect your AirPods to each other. That's true. Um, and someone's already <laughs> someone's already announced a, a pair of accessories. I forget who it was, but it was Spigen. this week. Yeah, and you can buy them. So if you really want that, that's great. I have a pair of uh, Jabra... Uh, uh, earbuds that uh they have a wire connecting them 
but they are very portable and I use them like if I'm going on the train or something, I want something tiny I can put in my pocket. And one of the features I like about them is they are magnetic on the back. So they will clasp around you kind of like a necklace and they will go into a sleep mode when you do that. So you take them yeah. off. And then, there are a bunch though, that, that have the magnet for on off. But they're awful. They fall out of my ears all of the time. Like I, I tried every single different rubber nub kind of thing. If Couldn't you weren't so minimalist in your life and about, about trying to reduce the number of things that you have around to the point where you could live out of a suitcase, I, I would send you a pair of Bluetooth headphones that do the magnet that will not fall out of your ears. Well, I have a pair of workout headphones that I really enjoy. They're Plantronics Backbeat Fit. Uh, they're water resistant, super lightweight. Um, they sound good. They're nice and loud. Uh, the battery life's good. I've been working out with them for a few years. I recommend them to everybody. Uh, uh, Jeff, uh, our publisher, uh, uses them now at the gym. My wife uses them. She was the one that found them originally, actually. Uh, when people tweet at me, ask me which headphones I recommend, I love those headphones. But the main problem that I have with those headphones is the same problem I have with any Bluetooth headphones is the pairing issue. So yeah. it, one of the weird issues uh, for anybody that uses an Apple Watch and exercises it w- uh, will know this is if you are using your uh, Apple Watch to control music, the music is still going to come from your phone. But if you choose the music that's stored locally on your Apple Watch, then you have to pair the headphones directly with the watch. You can't have it paired with the phone. So you have to unpair and then repair and go into pairing mode and do all this stuff. It's a big pain in the butt. And this is going to get even become even more of a problem for me because this week the Apple Watch Series 2 comes out, has GPS, so you can load your music playlists onto it, go out and run, track your run or ride your bike or whatever, but you need to unpair it from your phone, pair it with your watch, and then repair it with your phone when you want to use it again. The Apple You'll break w- forget that. Right. The Apple W1 chip solves this problem because what it does is it logs into your iCloud. It then sends the Bluetooth pairing information to all your devices and then intelligently switches between the headphones and the device. So whenever they come out, I'm going to get these PowerBeats 3 and test them out and you'll see the review on Apple Insider because I switch my workout headphones between my phone and my watch a lot and I'm going to do it a lot more now that I can use my watch independently of my phone for run tracking and all that kind of stuff. And that's a big selling point for me. I have no interest in running with the AirPods. I'm going to lose them. I think they look ugly. I have no interest in them. But I like the clip around the ear style of the PowerBeats 3. You like an ear hook. Right. It's more secure. It doesn't fall out like my jobbers do. Those Plantronics I have have the ear hook as well, and they stay on my ears and work great. So I'm I gonna still the like the decibels. Yeah. I, you know, I told you about the decibels ones where you mold them to your ear. They don't fall out, and they don't have an ear hook, and they're perfect. And they're Bluetooth, and they have just the one cord connecting both ears, the same as the PowerBeats 3. But they're, they're brilliant but because they don't of have that mold fit into the ear. Well, if and when Apple gets around to licensing that thing... Maybe they will. They won't. They sell their own headphones. Why would they license it? Because they want greater people. If they do just their own thing, then the Bluetooth pairing model will never get fixed. If they license it out, then everyone's stuff gets better and more adoption. Yeah. I I mean, they own a headphone. They they license the lightning connector, and they're going to be doing a lot of business with that as headphone companies move to the lightning connector, too. So why wouldn't they consider licensing the W1 under the same MFI program? Because Bluetooth is already there, and it gives a leg up for them to sell their own accessories, and they own a headphone company. So Anyway, 
speaking of headphones, you wrote about the Adis, uh, planar eye sign in ear headphones. It's actually pronounced Odyssey, like like Odyssey. Well, they couldn't have made that more obvious, could they? I, I I called them Audis too before I met with the folks. Uh, yeah, they held an event. Okay, so you had to actually meet with them in order for them to clarify how it's pronounced. So it's Audizy. <laughs> Audizy, yes. <sighs> uh, poor, poor people <laughs> and branding. They are a, a high-end kind of boutique headphone company. Um, they are run by uh, engineers. I met the CEO, really nice guy. Um, Can you pronounce his name? No, I'm not even going to try. But, um, yeah, so uh, marketing and uh, even aesthetics uh, uh, may be questionable. Some people love their stuff, though. The uh, the CEO was showing me a guy who got their headphones uh, tattooed on his arm. So, Well, I'd, I'd say that's dedication, but you must remember that years ago there was a guy who had the Zune logo from Microsoft tattooed on his arm as well. That is true. Um so I I got to check out the iSign 10 uh, in-ear. Uh, there are, are uh, 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 a unique kind of earbud. Uh, so they use what's known as uh, – how, how do you pronounce it? Planar? Planar. Planar, thank planar. you. I, I struggle with these things. Uh, planar magnetic phones. So um, – Neil, when you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, yeah. it, it does sound a little awkward, yes. I know, I know. Uh, so <laughs> – these headphones, so if you're familiar with uh, planar magnetic headphones, the technology is interesting. Uh, basically, if you have traditional headphones, there's a, there's a membrane in there that needs to physically move, and it's sent back and forth from a central point. So there's like It's pushed by basically a voice coil that's a, a magnet that's wound in a circle. Right. So uh, magnetic uh, headphones uh, of this type, uh, have different technology. So basically the, the thin membrane that's in the earpiece is, uh, uniformly, uh, has a, a special, you know, whatever magnets in it. Right. Well, and it's, it's not so much magnets. What they're doing is, I mean, there, there's a little bit of a magnet in here, but what they're doing is they're putting a membrane stretched over a, a plane stretched over material that's flat in surface and then applying an electrical charge so that instead of just the voice coil moving the center of a traditional kind of speaker, it's it's moving the whole membrane evenly and equally. Right. There are magnets on each side of the membrane each side of the membrane and so the entire thing moves. It's basically hovering between these magnets for lack of a better explanation. And so rather than just having a center point move, the entire thing moves. And so what that results in is a better quality sound than you would get from a traditional headphone. It's just a different type of technology. But because of, I mean, just describing it is difficult. So imagine what it is to get it in a headphone. So tr- traditionally, these types of headphones are gigantic. They're massive. They're, they're, they're big, bulky, expensive I, things. I'm wearing some right now, yes. And Odyssey has been making it their effort to get this technology that is very niche and very... Uh, uh, rare and kind of uh, commercialize it and make it more uh, common and more affordable. And so they've been shrinking them down and, and we've reviewed some of their headphones in the past and uh, and they're pretty nice, but they're this typical style of big cans on your ear. Well, Odyssey has taken this technology down and they've crammed it inside of what is essentially an earbud. Now, use the term earbud lightly. They're more uh, uh, in-ear. That's a pretty loose definition because these things are as as at their largest. They're kind of like as large as your whole ear. Not 
well, no, it not, they're not as large. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a picture on the Apple Insider website, and it's the it's a, of your ear is the way I would put it. It's it's sort of obscuring an ear here. Yes, yes, it does. So, but I mean, that's just an issue of physics at that point. You need to have this. Yeah, you got to have somewhere to stretch the membrane. Membrane. You need to have the magnets. You have to have all that stuff. But it's an in-ear, quote-unquote, earbud headphone because it does go inside of your ear and rest in there. And the headphones can be used without like an on-ear clip because they're light. They're only 20 grams a piece um, or total, I'm sorry, the, the two sides without the cable on it. So they're very lightweight. But uh, at that point, it's an issue of physics. The fact that they were able to accomplish this and get this technology squeezed down to such a small size is an incredible accomplishment. Nobody's ever done anything like this. There's never been an in-ear uh, planar magnetic headphone. It just it does not exist. Um, so this is the first that uh, has been created. So I got to test them out this week. They sound very impressive. They connect through lightning. So uh, this is a company that's been making headphones for a few years, and they make lightning headphones. So if you have if you get an iPhone 7, don't have a headphone jack, you don't have to worry about that. And Apple's taken note of this company too because they make quality products. So you can buy them in the Apple Store. They're featured there, that kind of stuff. Uh, but this is the first ever of this type. And they're actually... Um, considering again the technology, uh, not too expensive. They're they're three ninety nine, which if you're comparing it to you know AirPods or something like that, obviously it's more expensive. But for high end audiophile type of sound, um, these are actually not that expensive. Like how much are your headphones that you're wearing right now? Uh, probably one ninety nine. The their planner. Uh, these are actually electrostatic things, and they are affordable only because they came from China's best. But they they are a one ninety nine or a two forty nine, I think. Right, and so three ninety nine. They are, is not- they are a planer with an addition of a traditional voice coil uh, placed above that vertically, mm-hmm. so that you get both filling out the sound. So it's pretty wild. Yeah. So. At three ninety nine, these are not that crazy of a price, especially when you look at a company like Odyssey that spell that sells like twenty five hundred dollars headphones stuff like that. So it's not for everybody. So some of you are going to get sticker shock and hear three ninety and be like, oh, well. It's, yeah, but let's let's talk. I mean, just it's it's using Lightning to connect. So first of all, they're paying Apple for licensing for the Lightning connector. Right. It's got a twenty four bit digital amplifier inside, a D to A converter inside, and a DSP or a digital signal processor. And they've added on the physical buttons for volume and play and pause. So there's a lot going on there. You're not just buying expensive headphones because you're buying expensive headphones. You're getting something for it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot that it, a lot of research and technology and obviously the licensing and stuff that's gone into these. These are not... Most important question, did you like them? Uh, yeah, I mean, they sounded great. I got to test them out for about 15 minutes. I used them with an iPad that they had there, and I plugged them into my iPhone SE as well. Um, and usually when you're dealing with in-ear headphones, earbuds, whatever, um, the, uh, bass is definitely an issue just again, because of physics, you know, there's only so much you can do with something so small, uh, really had a, a lot of deep bass in the sound. Um, and it wasn't really sometimes, you know, when you get headphones, they'll throw in bass and, and to overcompensate and it distorts the high end stuff, uh, could really hear full range and clarity on them. Um, I am by no means a, uh, a, a audiophile expert. I would never claim to be, um, but I've used a, a, a number of uh, nice headphones in my day. I'm currently wearing uh, some Master and Dynamic that I really enjoy. Uh, as far as pocketable 
uh, highly portable in-ear headphones go, these were the best that I've ever heard uh, of that style. Uh, and they were also comfortable. Um, if, did, while I was wearing them, I didn't really have much of an issue. And uh, you, you can swap out the rubber tips for, you know, your liking for your ears or whatever. But um, I was in a, you know, a relatively quiet room, but there was some noise around and there was a DJ playing in the other room and stuff and still uh, was enough to block out. And they were loud too, man. Um, uh, using the lightning connection and their uh, and their own onboard chip, uh, you could really crank up the volume on them and get them very loud. Sounded good. One of the features I really like too is you can do a couple presets on it and save them and they're actually saved on the cable itself so you program it through an app on your iphone and then when you unplug from your iphone if you want to go plug it into your ipad or a friend's iphone or something like that it will save the presets that you program they're, they're actually stored on the onboard chip which is pretty cool uh it i makes think the sense. main the main knock against these is the aesthetics uh as we were saying before uh odyssey you know there, there was a guy with a zoom tattoo t- as well the ceo was showing me a guy with his Odyssey uh, cans tattooed on his forearm. Uh, they definitely have a, a look of uh, Lobot from uh, Star Wars. Uh, they're big. <laughs> they're oh Lobot. They're they're big and they're wired. Uh, it's definitely a love it or hate it aesthetic. They're not my type of headphone look, is the way I would put it. But they do uh, to give them some credit. They do have a, and that's why I say Lobot, they do have kind of a deliciously 1970s kind of look to them. Uh, it's like what we used to think the future was going to look like. Uh, and now it does. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have a, they have oh. a retro futurism to it. And, they, they're uh, sort of like uh, putting honeycombs on the side of your head. Yeah. I, I don't hate them, but I don't like them is the way I would put it. They're, 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 they're really – some people are just going to hate them. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If, if you go to an article, check the show notes and look at them, you, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, it's not the worst aesthetic I've ever seen, but it's definitely not my style is the way I'd put it. And that's one of the problems with this kind of stuff. Headphones are very much a fashion statement, right? And if you look at Apple's AirPods, I took one look at those with these little sticks sticking out of your ear. And, you know, it looks like you got some sort of weird ear piece piercing in or something. It's like, I would never wear that. I have no interest in wearing that. Well... It is a little awkward that they've got the uh, the the microphone and battery stock sticking down like that. But some people do like the look of it, and and you know, fashion is polarizing, right? Some people right. are going to like it, some people won't. Your FedEx guy wears the thing around his neck, uh, and I've never accused him of having incredible fashion sense. But <laughs> fantastic guy. But you know, I mean, and I, I guess you know he wears that that FedEx uniform, and he wears the the Harman Kardon LG tone thing, and and that's fashion for you. And one of the reasons I bought these Master Dynamics is because the aesthetics appealed to me. Um, you know, they are not necessarily the most comfortable headphones, especially if you're going to wear them for three or four hours. Uh, but I really like the way they look, and that's important to me. And, and it's important to a lot of people that buy headphones. See, I I would much prefer to wear something comfortable. Uh, I'm, when I'm wearing it, I'm not looking at it. If, if I'm going to be wearing this for an extended period of time, it darn well better feel comfortable. I've gone through Harman Kardon headphones, gone through JBL headphones, gone through Audio-Technica. I've gone through a huge number of, of them, and I'm wearing these, these uh, electrostats, and they're comfortable, and right. I prefer them. 
they are not they're they're an interesting look the the headband is covered in in uh, a faux leather or it might even be a real leather but i'm not certain um the cans on the ear cups are actually are wood they are real wood the the plastic connectors the the hoops that connect the cans to the headband are a gold colored plastic well when they i they are not that- a fashion statement when I say the look of it, though, it's not just the aesthetics of it. It's also the construction of it and the stuff that you appreciate as somebody who likes to find, buy fine goods. Uh, you know, these master dynamics I'm wearing right now, um, they're comfortable, perfectly comfortable for an hour or two of wearing. You know, after that, it starts to weigh on your head a little bit just because of the size of them. And it's also made out of machined aluminum. I mean, it's heavier than a plastic headphone. And so if you want to get something that's quality, that's metal, that is going to last, that looks good on your desk, that looks good on your head, that feels good in your hands, that you appreciate the quality of it, those are the kind of sacrifices that you're going to make. And if you're really the type that wants to get, you know, planner magnetic uh, technology squeezed down into something that you can put in your ear, you're going to have to have a big thing that you're going to have to have a big thing sticking out of your ear. I mean, that's just, it's just physics at that point. We can't defy the laws of physics. So now say that in a Scottish accent. I don't, I can't do that. Oh, so much for satisfying the Star Trek Scotty kind of thing. Not going to try. Ah, frustrating. I was hopeful, but the you know he- headphones and the materials you point out the materials are important i had a, a set of pumas that were headphones that were made in the same factory using the same parts and materials as the bowers and wilkins uh p7s p5s mm-hmm. except that they'd used plastic to hold the ear cups on instead of the metal that uh, the bowers and wilkins use mm-hmm. and that's where they broke it's it's so important to pick quality stuff as you say yeah, it's and it's, for some people, some people don't care, you know, and some people like the aesthetics of you know big, oversized, colorful Beats cans and stuff like that. Um, it's very much a, a fashion personal statement that comes with this stuff, and so I think that's part of why you're seeing such a visceral reaction to the AirPods because it's it's a kind of a perfect storm. They got rid of the headphone jack. They're charging one hundred sixty dollars for these headphones. People feel like they're going to lose them. And it's an easy thing to gripe about because they look kind of ridiculous too. And so it it becomes something that uh, is not necessarily fair and not necessarily something that uh, Apple is deserving of getting. But regardless, that's just where the backlash is going right now among those people who knew the headphone jack was going to get ditched. Look, this, this is not a problem at the end of the day. And anyone who says it is is going to look ridiculous in about a year. I mean, the Bluetooth headphones are outselling wired headphones already, and no one even has this phone yet. And hopefully so, Bluetooth continues to get better, because I do still face dropout issues with it. That's where my main concern comes in. And you will, but if you when you when if and when you get your, your PowerBeats 3, that will be improved. Improved, but there's still problems. There's lag when it comes to Bluetooth. There's dropout issues. You know, Apple can't fix the standard. Well, they have. That's no, what the W1 ha- is doing. Well, they're trying to, but even the reviews that came out of the AirPods said that there are still occasional dropouts and there's still lag. They haven't fixed all the problems. All right. Well, I, I would I would say get them. Let's see if they do a firmware update at some point, and uh, and and let's follow that. Although it sounds ludicrous to say firmware update your headphones, but that's the future we live in. My uh, Plantronics uh, get firmware updates through an app on my iPhone, the, the workout headphones I use. I used to have a Jawbone headset, a Jawbone uh, earpiece that, that used to get firmware updates until Jawbone decided to obsolete it. 
my main concern with all this headphone stuff is not about the phone itself. It's about the MacBook. Um, I Well, and it's interesting that you say that because we ran a story about Apple polling MacBook users about how they use headphone jacks and other ports. Mikey wrote this. Yeah. Where, where there was a survey that Apple sent out. If you can imagine Apple ever sending out a survey, right? Because <laughs> a- Apple, the Apple of old, the Apple when Steve Jobs was alive, <clears throat> the Apple of old never blatantly asked users what they thought. The, the Apple of old claimed that they never even did user studies, like human factor studies where, where you get a bunch of people in a room and say, do this task and watch how they do it to see if it makes sense and see if they use it right. The, the Apple of old used to do those quietly. They'd contract out to third-party human factors groups who would get people in a room and, and give them a list of tasks and videotape them doing it. And, and they used to compare uh, trackpads to see which trackpad responded the way that people thought it should to know which one to use in the la- laptops. But they never did this stuff publicly. So this is really new for me, the idea that Apple would send out a survey and ask people, do you ever use the headphone port on your MacBook Pro with Retina display? Yes? No? Not sure. What do you mean, not sure? Do you or don't you? Basically, the the, the thing that's in this story is um, ending that Apple is considering removing the headphone jack from an upcoming MacBook. A separate survey asked users how often they use other ports, which which could be what? Leading them to replace stuff and, and use Thunderbolt and USB-C? Is, is that what's going on here, Neil? I mean, the expectation is that this year's MacBook Pro redesign is going to follow the same direction as the 12-inch MacBook and go with USB-C reversible ports. So uh, there was a leaked chassis that came out a few months ago, which may have been bogus considering how far ahead of production uh, it was leaked. But it showed two USB ports on the left side, two on the right side, continued to include a 3.5-millimeter headphone jack just like the 12-inch MacBook does. But got rid of all the other ports. So no more Thunderbolt port because presumably that would go through USB-C. No more MagSafe port, which would drive me up a wall. And no more, obviously, HDMI or SD card. Um, Everybody's use case is different, right? So for me, I use the headphone jack on my MacBook all the time. I use the headphone jack on my iPhone never. I use the full-size SD card slot on my MacBook all the time. I use the HDMI port never. So, you know, it's going to be a painful transition no matter what. And you're going to have to look at it and decide, do you want to deal with the adapters, the pain of, of all that kind of stuff? Um, I will be sad losing the SD port, but I realize why they're going to get rid of it, and I don't really blame them. Um, you know, I mean, that's just the reality. Well, and, and for them, right, you're using the SD card slot because you're using a camera that uses an SD card. Right. Right. But they make a really great camera. They, they do. make a, a, not, they make a really great camera, and and you don't have to have an SD card slot for that camera. That is true. And when I went to this headphone event the other day, uh, I almost brought my Sony Alpha camera, and then I said, eh. And then I just brought my iPhone and shot the photos with that. And you know what? The photos look fine. I'm saying. So you're right. Um, and that is true. I am still going to keep my Sony Alpha camera. I'm still going to use it for certain situations. And if I get a new MacBook Pro and it doesn't have an SD card slot as it is not expected to, then I'll just have to deal with getting an adapter or something. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. 
In a perfect world, we'd have a camera with a W1 chip in it that would do some form of NFC, Bluetooth, whatever, and just turn on the camera and it would pair and I wouldn't even need to plug it in and I could just transfer over stuff from the SD card. That we future is tried still- doing these camera things a bunch of different ways, right? There was the uh, the the Sony version that was Wi-Fi to the iPhone. And I have a clip that, yeah. that. Do you still have that? Uh, well, the, I have the Sony Alpha that does Wi-Fi to an app called Play Memory. Right, but there was the one that was just the lens sensor, basically, yeah. and and you you could either hold it on its own or you could clip it to your phone and use your phone as the camera. Yeah, that was a cool concept that just did not work in execution. The connectivity totally was- failed in execution, and Canon made one like that also, and it totally failed, or Olympus did one of those. Um, and then there was the other attempt, which was the the Samsung Galaxy version, where they made a camera. That also that ran Android basically, so they made a, a really nice digital camera, and then it was powered by Android. Right. And the the idea behind that is is that you have the operating system you know, and you can load the apps that you know, and use the camera apps with a really good camera lens. I also have sitting in front of me the DXO One camera, which is the Lightning connected one. I want to try one of those. You could try mine if you want. I accept. <laughs> it's it's a cool product. Um, I would say that this product would be a must-have if it had some form of an optical zoom, but it doesn't. So, But it has a much larger sensor, and it takes better photos than your iPhone 6S or 7 can, just by the nature. Again, like we're talking about with headphones, it's physics at that point. I mean, you need to have larger space to do these kind of things, and this being the size that it is, uh, it gives you that ability. It, I just wish it had a zoom. So let's, let's devote a little bit of time here right before we wrap up to rumors. There, there are two stories that we can talk about. One is the 2017 iPhone, and the other is about the Project Titan. Where do you want to go first? Let's keep talking iPhone because, you know, this is coming out the launch day of the new iPhone 7, and people are very interested in it. So Cool. I, uh, so the, the 2017 iPhone, we talked about a little bit of the idea that it would be chinless and, and have no home button. What else do we know about it, or what else do we think we know about it? The expectation is it's going to have a completely redesigned edge-to-edge display. Um, There's been some talk of some crazy uh, sci-fi sounding technology that uh, basically where Apple will hide the FaceTime camera and the earpiece underneath the display somehow. So uh, you won't see any of the features on the front of the phone like you do currently, you know, above it with the earpiece, below it with the home button, all that. And also, it might have curved glass. Yes, the expectation is it'll be curved edges, glass, front and back kind of thing. Just an all-glass piece of technology. Which is is interesting. You know, we've seen the Gorilla Glass kinds of things, and those, those have been proving. We've seen other glass technologies. Does making a glass-backed phone make sense anymore? I love the design of the iPhone 4 and iPhone 4S. I think that that is the pinnacle of iPhone design thus far. Um, The iPhone 5, 5S, and SE um, went back to an aluminum back just because of the cracking issue and all that. There's glass at the top and bottom to let the radio signal through and all that. Um, But I think that the, the iPhone 4 really is the best design that Apple's had for the iPhone. And, uh, there are some people who crack the back of their iPhone that disagree. Um, and I certainly could imagine now dropping an all-glass front and back iPhone with curved edges where the whole thing just 
disintegrates into a million pieces. So, I mean, you have to check back with me after I own one for a little while, but the idea of it just sounds awesome to me. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, there, there are some things that sound wonderful in concept and in practice might be a problem. Yeah, uh, you know, they could have, you know, the glass has obviously gotten harder and more durable and stuff like that. Uh, the, the way I had heard it described before when you had an iPhone 4 or 4S was uh, it was like having a piece of toast that was buttered on both sides. And if you dropped it, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> you're kind of screwed either way. And then with the 5S and, and 5 and SE, at least you could drop it if it hits the back, then, you know, it's not going to shatter on the aluminum side. I'm going to talk about the Project Titan thing a little bit, just because we've done some original reporting on that in the past, and it's it's still a topic that's interesting to me. We go back and forth on this. You know, We used to talk about it and say, is Apple going to make a car? No, Apple's not going to make a car. And it, it seems like Apple's had some of those um, discussions themselves, right, when they, they changed who's the head of the project and things like that. So now Bob Mansfield is running it, and apparently contract manufacturer Magnus Steer has a dozen engineers working on a car at Apple facilities in Sunnyvale. And uh, so the question is, are, is Apple still planning to build a full vehicle or are they concentrating on a self-driving platform? What do you think, Neil? I mean, it's, it's such an old industry that to crack into it, it is very difficult. And it's, you're talking about machines that are way more complex than a phone or a watch or anything like that. Um, just the so many aspects of it, the design, the functionality, the yeah. capability, the amount of money that you're going to spend on an Apple car. You know, let, let's say that, that they started the price on an Apple car at $50,000, right? You know, this is something that has to be road tested that is going to be able to have, you know, 500,000 miles put on it over the years. And, uh, you know, it needs to be repairable. It needs to, there are just so many logistics there that, that make it difficult. This is not an industry that you just break into. So the the idea that there are some shakeups that's and troubles. that's what they said about the cell phone industry. In fact, that's almost an exact quote of of Ed Colligan, who who said that Apple's not going to just the PC guys aren't going to be able to come in here and break into this industry. Well, was yeah, the old but, quote. <laughs> so you're you're basically repeating that. <laughs> uh, no, because the cell phone industry isn't 120 years old. Uh, no, it's not. But automobiles take about around 3,000 or so parts, I think, um, in terms of big assemblies to make a car. So it's it's not as if they can't manage that. It, there are a lot of, of moving parts, pun intended, right, from, from, from production, from third-party partners making pieces for them, right. from, you know, because G- GM does not make the, the majority of the parts of the car, right? right? They have AC Delco, which is a subsidiary, but they also buy things from other suppliers, um, which is is why, you know, you're, a few years ago, there was the question in, in the Toyotas about the different uh, accelerator pedals when there was the unintended acceleration problems. There were two separate suppliers for the accelerator pedal part, and the fault was only really implicated, I believe, in one of them. So they, you know, you have multiple suppliers the same way that Apple does for different processors, Samsung, TSMC. This is it's all of this stuff is not completely outside the realm of possibility. The biggest part that they would have would be the servicing depots. Listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. He talks about how the accelerators and the Toyotas were not faulty at all, and it was just human error. There are a number of different answers for that. There were faults in them. Uh, some of it related to lead-free solder. One of the interesting things that happens with lead-free solder that was uh, made to comply with the Rojas certifications from Europe, the ROHS, is that 
under a microscope, the solder grows whiskers. And if you have surface mount connections that are close together over time, the lead-free solder pads will grow whiskers and create micro short outs between the pads and between the connections. And that was found to have happened on some of the accelerator pedals. Interesting. Yeah, lead-free solder is its own nightmare. It's, it's wonderful in terms of environmental regulation, but it, it does create faults. Well, regardless, the, the point of what I'm saying here is not that <laughs> Apple could never make a car. Certainly they could. You know, they have the money. They have the expertise. They can hire. They can outsource things. They can, you know, get partners. You know, this is not unheard of. It's not like companies can't break into this industry, but it's not easy. And so the fact that Apple is experiencing internal growing pains should come as a surprise to nobody because this is, you know, could arguably be the most difficult project they've ever undertaken. Certainly more difficult than making a watch or a phone uh, just because of the complexity of it. Um, it doesn't make it impossible. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. It just means that it takes a lot of work. I, I would agree with that. Will it have a headphone jack? <laughs> Definitely not. There will not be one in there. All uh, all Bluetooth. And hopefully that one has a W1 chip in it as well. Or maybe by then we'll be up to like a W4 chip. I'm just hoping one of these days we get wireless CarPlay. I thought it was already out. Name the head unit that has it. But it's it's capable. You don't have to plug in. Uh, I do not know of any CarPlay unit that's been produced with the wireless capability. But it exists, is my point. I don't know that. No, it was announced ages ago. We have right. not seen it actually in production. It's part of iOS nine, yeah. It's it's, but it's not been implemented in anyone's car. Yeah, it's that's crazy. You you can't get it. it. It's not in any of the aftermarket stuff, and it's not in any of the production cars that come with it. Yeah, that's that's one of those situations where you know the industry itself is so backwards and. You know, there's so much upselling of uh, charging you an arm and a leg. Like, you look at a BMW or something, and they want to get under a certain price point. So they'll say, oh, you know, this car starts at $45,000 or something like that. But you can't actually buy the $45,000 car because it, like, doesn't even come with an engine at that price. You know, like, it's like... I remember. I remember my dad telling me about his his experience buying a car at a dealership in, in the 70s. And he lived in Minnesota at the time. And he was going to buy the car. And he went to the dealer and said, I want to buy this car. And the dealer's like, great, the cost is the, it begins at this price. He's great, that's, I'll, I'll buy it for that, wonderful. He says, yes, but you need to buy some options because, you know, at that price, it doesn't come with heat. They don't even make them without the options. In it's like Minnesota, you order it. In Minnesota, you need heat. <laughs> right. And that's one of the problems that Apple is facing when it comes to these car companies, you know. Uh, they want to upsell on the infotainment systems. They want to upsell you on crazy things like, you know, in 2016, power windows and stuff like that, air conditioning, whatever. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, th- this kind of weirdness that goes on with the car manufacturers and they're slow to adopt technology, slow to update their own proprietary stuff in the car. And it, in many ways, it has a lot of parallels to the cell phone industry and their own uh, desire for control and the consumer experience and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when you think about the dealerships and how they want to control the experience or the sales experience from start to finish, you think about carriers and wanting to put their logo on everything. Uh, try to go to a dealership these days and buy a car without the dealership's logo stuck on a sticker somewhere on it, right? Well, it's the dealership's logo stuck on the sticker. You you can get them without that. You but can, there are dealerships. But you sometimes you have to special order them and stuff too. Right. Well, there are dealerships that that will laser engrave stuff in the car windows too and you have to to order tell them not to do that either 
But there are so many parallels between that and what Apple faced when they got into the cell phone industry. Even when you look at Tesla and the issues they had with uh, the dealerships in New Jersey coming together and still having selling. Right. It's that is the kind of roadblock that Apple is going to face going into an established industry. Uh, that's just the way that it is. And so if Apple wants to sell cars or even make cars or just put infotainment systems in cars, they're just going to hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. It's going to continue to be a problem for them. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that you run into with a hundred year old industry. So it is. Well, Neil, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, you can read uh, my thoughts at appleinsider.com, um, where in the coming days you should see our iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus review, Apple Watch Series 2. Um, so stay tuned through this fall. We'll have AirPods, PowerBeats 3. Whenever the new MacBooks ship, you'll be able to read the review there. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming for Apple fans this fall. And then uh, you can engage with me on Twitter. Uh, I am at this is Neil. We have a lot of great readers who tweet at me a lot, ask me questions, and uh, happy to respond to any queries that you have. And also want to thank all the people who in the last couple weeks left some nice reviews for us on iTunes. Uh, it's a very big help, um, and we appreciate it kindly. Yes, if, if you like the show, if you actually listen to us and enjoy listening to us, please Take a moment of your time, and if it's not too much trouble, and leave a positive review on iTunes. We do appreciate it. And if Neil takes on a 100-year-old industry next week, we'll tell you all about it on next week's Apple Insider Podcast. <laughs>